in terms of Canada, where in 2020, the growth in ESG is probably in the neighborhood of 250%. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Investment flows into ESG have been phenomenal in the past year with no signs of slowing down. In today's episode, portfolio managers Chris Heeks, Alfred Lee, along with your host Mark Rays, dig into the benefits of sustainability screens to build core and satellite positions. They also highlight growth opportunities on the fixed income side through high-yield ETFs. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO Global Asset Management Weekly ETF Insight Call with our team of experts. I'm your host, Mark Grace, head of product for BMO GAM Canada, covering ETFs and funds. I'm joined today by Alfred Lee and Chris Heeks, both portfolio managers on our ETF desk, where Alfred focuses on fixed income and press, and Chris focuses on equity and derivative strategies. I'd like to begin with ESG, where we recently won a significant mandate on our U.S. ESG leaders ETF, ESGY. And of course, while that's good for us at BMO ETFs, it also more importantly signals a growing acceptance of ESG in the institutional community. And also off of that, we, where we expect it will be a key theme for advisors going forward. Can you comment on the advisor uptake of ESG mandates and how they are using them in portfolios? Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mark. And then just to provide a little bit of color around that trade, it was a $1.6 billion trade uh, client move from essentially an S&P 500 exposure to a ESG, uh, U.S. large cap exposure. Um, So um, as you mentioned, in the institutional community, um, they've been ahead of the curve with ESG, and it, it's certainly become a trend where we've seen institutionally assets gravitate. Um, and in this case, the client wholesale um, switching a benchmark to an ESG-oriented benchmark. You know, we're seeing sovereign wealth funds being more picky and choosy in terms of what stocks they hold. And, you know, even here at BMO Asset Management, where we're leaders in the ESG space and we're, we're, we're going over our exposures with a fine-tooth comb. So, there's been a real evolution of ESG. You know, um, I've, I've thought in the past it was something that got talked a lot about, but we didn't see a lot of flows to that strategy. And I think that's really, really starting to change. And it's, you know, it's become a more important part of, you know, what clients want. Um, it's been, been a more important part about, you know, where some government funding has gone. And, um, you know, and that's actually we're starting to see some, you know, some really meaningful uh, positions. Um, in ESG, particularly institutionally, um, you know, in terms of Canada, where, you know, if we move to kind of kind of the advisor side, you know, the, the growth has been um, very strong. Like so, for example, in 2020, the growth in ESG is probably in the neighborhood of 250 percent. But you know, we're coming off, admittedly, you know, pretty low levels. So if you go back even three years, you know, there isn't even a billion dollars in ESG. 
um, you know, now kind of in, in, in part, thanks to this, this large trade, we're probably getting closer to 5 billion in, um, in Canadian ETFs. And, you know, it's something, you know, I, unfortunately with COVID, you know, personally, I haven't had the chance to sit, sit with advisors as much as, as we did before then. But, you know, what I recall is it's, it's something we were talking about a lot. Um, so regardless of whether, you know, advisors were implementing, you know, it always came up in conversations in terms of how we're thinking about it. And I think now, you know, in terms of advisors, you know, there's a lot of tools for advisors to really implement this. You know, I, I think it's, I think it's a, this is a good area to think about core satellite and how, how that could play out, you know, in terms of replacing core, um, if you want to move from broad beta to, you know, a broad ESG beta, you know, we have the US, we, excuse me, we have the ESG, MSCI ESG leader solution. And that's, excuse me, that's what was used in this large trade. Um, and, that, that, you know, that's a very simple trade. So for any client, you know, that wishes to switch out the core, you know, obviously still very liquid, still gives you a lot of the upside characteristics of the broad beta, but in a package that is focused on, you know, ESG-friendly investments. And in the case of our, our strategies, you know, ESG leaders, you know, broad and broad strokes, you know, we're looking to hold the top kind of half of ESG-scored companies in the universe. So looking for that, you know, the best the best half um, to represent that exposure. So the core options are there and, and we have it on um, equity and fixed income, you know, and I don't want to steal offers thunder if he has a comment on fixed income, but, you know, I think all the core options are there. And then, you know, the other, the other interesting piece is the satellite exposures. And I think, you know, advisors and their satellite positions are, you know, I think are tending to look for, you know, themes and ideas that can generate increased return, um, you know, perhaps provide some alpha to client portfolios and, and, you know, the exposure that comes here comes to mind is, is a clean energy exposure. You know, if you look at clean energy ETFs last year globally, they they brought in over $10 billion. Um, Canada didn't have one until this year. So we've launched the BMO clean energy ETF, said CLN. And here's a great intersection of ESG and, um, you know, a satellite idea that can give you some potentially some outperformance over the long uh, long period. Now, clean energy has been a little bit volatile, but I think the interesting thing here, and, and not to go off on too far a tangent, the interesting thing is the valuations have really come right back down to a um, more historically normal level. So, you know, perhaps a better entry point right now on the clean energy. But, you know, thinking in terms of core and satellites, I think there's a lot of ways to use ESG and it's, um, you know, we have the tools to make it seamless. And, uh, you know, I think it's something we're going to be continuing to talk about this year and and, and so on in the in, in the coming years. Um, I think the theme is definitely, um, you know, widespread, and it's. I don't think it's going anywhere. So we think this theme will just be continuing to grow. Thanks, Chris. So if I can just bring it back to the original thought there, what what I found interesting about that trade is clearly uh, it was a core replacement trade as opposed to a satellite trade. So it's a great validation point. For any advisors that are thinking of wholesale switches uh, over to ESG, that that clearly others are thinking the same way. Let's move on to uh, recent market performance. Uh, of course, it's been a little tougher of late, although this week looks like we're getting a bit of a bounce back. Um, if I put it in terms of well-known stocks, uh, we've seen a sharp drop in Tesla, uh, but again, uh, some some rising pricing this week. For those considering an entry point, can you introduce our tech and industrial innovation ETF 
kickers at AUT, uh, simply because Tesla is the top holding uh, in that ETF, but you're still getting a diversified uh, thematic approach. Thanks. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think that's, that, 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 that's, a, that's a great way to think about it is we get exposure to really interesting companies such as Tesla, but you remember in the ETF format, in, well, in particular in our ETFs, you know, seeking to do so in a diversified way. So, um, yeah, you know, as you mentioned, this is one of our uh, new, newer ETFs that we've launched in the thematic investing category. You know, when I think about thematic investing, what does that mean? It's all about identifying, you know, those mega trends that are going to shape society on a long-term basis and, and identifying the businesses that are going to help support that trend. Um, so if you look into this one, the, the ticker ZAUT, uh, Autonomous Tech and Industrial Innovation, um, yes, you see vehicle automation is, is, a, is a key subsector. Um, it's about 20% of the fund is in the vehicle automation. And, and as you mentioned, Tesla is the largest weight there. There's some other, um, there's some other businesses involved in that as well. You know, the other two key uh sub-themes would be machine learning and AI. That's about a third of the fund. And uh, you, we all know that, that tech companies are engaged in this area. And, and uh, as well, there's about 25% in robotics as well. So if you look at those kind of three big themes underlying this ETF, you got you know, machine learning and AI, robotics and vehicle automation. You know, we think these are key themes that are going to be playing more of a role in society over the, over the long term. And, and, you know, we think this will be reflected into success in those underlying equities. And I think it's, you know, again, interesting from a satellite point of view to add to return. Um, you know, I think in terms of performance and how to think about these things, uh, you know, we know ARC and Kathy Wood, who their firm has also partnered on these indexes that we follow. You know, I was listening to her the other day. She said she has a five-year time horizon. They were asking her about recent NASDAQ volatility. She said she has a five-year time horizon on all her, in her investments. And I think that's a good way to think about these thematic exposures. Um, you know, we can be fairly confident that these mega trends are going to play more and more of a role going forward. Um, but we recognize that they carry a higher volatility profile. And, you know, in the short term, you know, obviously much more difficult to forecast. But I think if you as an investor can have a longer term time horizon on these and be willing to uh, let them play out, I think they can be additive to uh, portfolios. And, you know, again, the, the way we've constructed um, you know, we've tried to construct this, these thematic investing portfolios and very well diversified and well-rounded portfolios. Uh, so Tesla is about a 6% weight right now. Um, at, at rebalance, we have a 5% max weight on any holding and, and we've got over 200 holdings in the ETF. So it's very well rounded and diversified. And, and I think as investors, um, they're very interesting. And I, I would say, I, I would say it probably makes sense to think about these as, a, as longer term vehicles. Um, because if you do get caught up in that noise, the short-term volatility, you know, you might, you, you know, you may or may not make the right decision, right? You might get nervous and sell. But I think, you know, we can be confident that, you know, again, machine learning, AI, robotics, vehicle automation, these are key themes going forward. And I think if we can, you know, buy and hold these ETFs, I think we can uh, have the chance to have some really good outcomes. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And what I find most interesting about the, these new thematic ETFs is, you know, you really are getting the top-down thematic approach, but you're getting those those key companies that you want to invest in in a diversified fashion. So certainly interesting to look at uh, as a portfolio satellite.
You're listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Check out episode 58 in this same podcast series where we take a deeper look at BMO's suite of innovation ETFs, which build on megatrends like clean energy, fintech, genomics, autonomous technology, and next generation internet. Fascinating themes with long-term exponential growth potential. Alfred, let's go your way now on fixed income. Um, as we continue to see a push for yield, of course, that's while advisors have been watching the jump in long-term bond yields uh, year to date. So high-yield bond is in the spotlight. Can you comment on your outlook uh, for the high-yield bond market and where spreads might be currently sitting using our ZJK and ZHY ETFs? Sure. Uh, thanks, Mark. So, you know, rising yields have definitely been dominating the headlines over the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, we, we've seen a rise in yields, but, you know, as you mentioned, it's been mostly in the long term. So mostly about, you know, five years and beyond. Uh, the two-year rate has been relatively flat. And I think the reason why is because the Fed has essentially committed to keeping its overnight rate where it's at uh, over the next several years. Um, but as, as yields have risen, I think, you know, investors have been looking for ways to minimize that impact of rate shock. So because of that, you know, high yield bonds have popped back on the radar for a lot of investors uh, because they tend to be a lot more, you know, credit sensitive than interest rate sensitive. So, you know, year to date over the last couple of calls, we've been hesitant to add to high yield. We've been, you know, recommending it more as a, as a hold approach. Um, but, you know, over the last couple of weeks, uh, spreads have essentially widened out from, you know, 290 basis points, which they've kind of sat all year and which is historically as tight as they as, as they get. Uh, now they're sitting around 310 basis points, so it's definitely more interesting at these levels. Uh, what I will say is that, you know, during the onset of the uh, pandemic, uh, the Fed's purchase programs were very supportive of junk bonds. So I think a lot of the issuers that had a lot of, you know, issues in terms of refinancing, it definitely made it a lot more easier for them to seek funding, uh, which definitely shores up their balance sheets for over the next, you know, three to five years. So high yield bonds definitely ha- definitely has some some tailwinds going for it right now. So when you look at energy prices, um, energy makes up 12% of the indexes that you know, ZJK and ZHY follows. Um, so oil prices year to date, they're up, you know, $18 year to date, which, you know, at these levels, that's a pretty significant move. So I think, you know, when you look at high yield issuers, they tend to be more, you know, small cap issuers. So they, they tend to be more leveraged towards, um, you know, oil prices. So I think that's very supportive for high yield issuers overall. Um, consumer cyclical, that makes up another 22% of the index. And as, you know, we get this reopening of the economy, uh, they're definitely going to be more leveraged towards that reopening trade as well. So um, overall, I think there's a lot of tailwinds for high yield bonds at this, at this point. Um, you know, because there's so much support, you know, I don't think, um, you know, I, I think it definitely is very supportive. Um, but I do think that a lot of the easy gains were made last year. So don't expect, you know, the same same type of gains that we saw last year. I think going forward, uh, it's kind of more of, um, you know, less of a total return strategy and more of a, you know, clipping a coupon approach. Um, but I, de- I definitely believe that the recent widening in credit spreads uh, definitely makes them more attractive at these levels. Um, but if, if investors are looking for high-yield exposure, I think another alternative that may be more appealing is ZFH which is our uh, BMO floating rate high yield ETF. So in that ETF, because we're holding T 
T-bills and a CDX swap, which is a credit derivative, um, it's a much better way or, or much more efficient way of getting that high yield exposure. So not only is it you know, more liquid, um, but it's, you know, you just get that credit spread exposure without that duration exposure. And I think, you know, when you look at high yield bonds right now, um, you know, the credit aspect is definitely the aspect, aspect that you want, at least until, you know, interest rate volatility uh, that we've seen over the last couple of weeks until that subsides a little bit. So I think at these levels, I think high yield bonds definitely look a lot more interesting. Uh, but I think to get that exposure, uh, ZFH may be a better option at this point. Thanks, Alfred. Uh, and as a follow-up to that, comparing asset classes for higher higher income bonds, would you favor high yield bonds or emerging market bonds using our ZEF ETF? Getting a lot of questions in trying to compare the two of them. Thanks. Uh, that's a good question. I think uh, both Matt and I have been recommending uh, emerging market bonds, so I think we have to stick to our guns a little bit. Uh, but in all seriousness, I think you know, I think. If you look at where credit spreads are right now, um, in, in in emerging market bonds, uh, they've been you know wider compared to their historical levels compared to you know high yield bonds. So I think overall over the long term, I think there's definitely more upside for uh, emerging market bonds. Uh, but when you look at the makeup of the emerging market bond universe, you know we always talk about old world economies and new world economies. Uh, emerging market bonds are a good example, which includes you know, both old world and new world economies. So uh, when you look at Russia, UAE, uh, Indonesia, all those are oil exporters. Uh, so, you know, as oil prices rise from this point, I do think, you know, they're going to be leveraged towards oil prices. Um, China, which, you know, ZEF holds China bonds uh, in that ETF. You know, Chris mentioned a lot of the uh, newer economies. So things like AI, uh, machine learning, and even clean energy. Uh, China is expected to be a leader in all those fields in the coming decade. So, um, you know, it, as I mentioned, it's a good mix of old world and new world economies. And then, you know, when you look at emerging market bonds from a debt to GDP perspective, uh, emerging market countries have been a lot more fiscally res- uh, fiscally res- responsible uh, in, you know, in the wake of COVID. So I think, you know, unless you're a big believer in, in modern monetary theory, uh, that usually is a good sign for the balance sheets of the issuers. Um, but another thing I think is that if, you know, emerging market bonds uh, is a little bit too risky for you, if, or if you don't believe that, you know, there's upside in, in high yield bonds, uh, another alternative that investors may want to look at for yield is uh, U.S. preferred shares. So very similar to high yield bonds, uh, 5.7% distribution yield. So that it's net of withholding tax and also net of MER. So that's what you get in your pocket. Uh, the yield on U.S. preferred shares is higher than Canadian preferred shares. Uh, but overall, when you look at you know, the performance of U.S. preferred shares historically, uh, very similar to high-yield bonds. But why I like it more at this point is because you know, the issuing base is higher credit quality. Uh, you're lower down the capital structure. But when you look at the sector makeup of U.S. preferred shares, uh, 58% of its financials, a lot of banks in there. Uh, we always talk about the steeper yield curve, how that's beneficial for banks, uh, so that's going to be good for most of the issuing base in terms of the U.S. Uh, preferred share market. Um, when you look at the U.S. preferred share market structurally, uh, very different from the Canadian market. So there's no rate resets. Uh, they're all fixed coupon. Um, one thing I will point out is that U.S. preferred shares, they're issued in many cases with you know a 600 basis point, 700 basis point credit spread. So they're more credit uh, sensitive 
than they are interest rate sensitive. So when you have a rising interest rate environment, um, you know, usually when it's a rising interest rate environment, credit spreads tend to tighten. So a lot of these issuers can refinance at a much lower rate. So that tends to be you know, beneficial for U.S. preferred shares as they, as they you know, when they're expected to be called, uh, and they could be called at any time. Uh, they tend to trade around their par value. So again, this is another play where you just clip that coupon. Um, so overall, you know, we like emerging market bonds over the long term more than high yield bonds. But U.S. preferred shares is another alternative for those income oriented investors. Great. Thanks for that, Alfred. And if I just turn it back to, to high yield versus emerging, I think the one thing that still catches people by surprise is the emerging market bonds are about three quarters or so investment grade. So certainly a different uh, quality aspect versus the high yield bonds is something to think about there. Uh, one more question from me. We've seen the value trade go on a tear this year. Is this just reversion considering the underperformance that it's had in the past, or is there something more at play? Lots of questions coming in on our ZBU ETF. Uh, can you provide your value outlook? Thanks, Mark. And it's been nice to see the interest um, in, in value. You know, it's it's a sector that most investor investment professionals, you know, have continued to believe in. But you know, as you mentioned, it's certainly been a been a tough uh, exposure to be in the past ten years. Um, and and you know, the underperformance of value really even accelerated last year. If you look at it, last year to October thirty first, uh, ZBU was down fifteen, while while our ZSP S and P five hundred was up five, so twenty percent. Uh, underperformance. So that was kind of the final, um, you know, leg. But, you know, since then, you know, we've talked about the factor kind of shift in the market. Um, and we wouldn't, you know, we still were long-term believers in tech, but, you know, certainly some of this is is reversion. And, you know, given the reopening trade and, and you know, as, as we discussed, it's all started with the positive vaccine news in, in early November when Pfizer got approved and then you know, the, um, you know, AstraZeneca and the Moderna as well, um, all that started to trigger this sort of cyclical rally in the market, you know, the reopening trade that we continue to talk about and, and is, you know, we're, you know, probably personally and professionally uh, optimistic on for this year um, in terms of reopening the economy and getting back to life. Um, you know, that's always been very, very uh, bullish for the value strategy. So, like I mentioned, it was 20% underperformance to October 31st. If you look at since that time until now, uh, that that value exposure that BU is up 30% versus 13% on the index. So we got 17% outperformance. And you know, again, we are seeing uh, value rally. We're seeing dividends rally, small caps. You know, the the financials, banks. We talk about a lot. So it's been stuff that's kind of shifting the market, and we're seeing the cyclical rally. Um, you know, the last time value outperformed, um, you, you, you do have to go back in excess of 10 years, back to kind of 2009, 2010, the rally from the financial crisis bottom. If you, if you look in Canada, value outperformed by 45% over that kind of year and a half. So the, the wind is at its back. You know, I think the reopening trade is, um, you know, still underway. Um, so I think it's a very interesting exposure. And I think we've got a, we've got, you know, I'm going to cross my fingers and say we've got a lot of good news to come in terms of vaccinations, economic reopenings, um, you know, lockdown easements. 
So, um, you know, I think that's going to continue to provide some wind there. So, you know, on the call, we've talked about overweights to dividends um, and value as well. You know, and there's a connection between dividends and values. I think both of these um, give you exposure to that. But I think value is the most pure play exposure to the quote unquote beaten up stocks that need to recover. And uh, we can see ZBU is really delivering you know, a sharp outperformance to that theme. So it's a pretty interesting space and nice to see that we're getting, you know, more questions on it and, and, and um, investor interest. So I think it's a pretty interesting exposure for this year. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. At this point, I would like to check if there are any questions on the line for either Chris or Alfred. Hi, good morning. I have a question on REITs. I know not directly related to the material that you spoke to this morning, but I was hoping you could share your outlook on Canadian REITs as well. Your thoughts perhaps on some, you know, your insights on equal weight REIT ETF that RE. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the question. And I think, um, yeah, it's, um, I, I wouldn't call REITs a cyclical exposure, but they're definitely one that I think can play on the reopening trade. Um, if you look at where REITs are right now, they're still, you know, quite a bit below. Um, like I'm just looking at it, probably 15% below pre-COVID highs. They have had a nice um, kind of partial recovery the past few months. But, you know, again, that's something in the context of reopening. We're looking for better news there um, as stores reopen. Um, you know, the housing market's been pretty strong. And, and, and you know, so the, the residential REITs have, have, been, have been doing okay. Retail-based REITs, have been underwater, but they're coming back. Um, industrial REITs have been pretty strong, and we expect them to continue to be strong in a reopening trade. You know, the one subsector that we think about a little bit more negatively is those office REITs. You know, as we as we know, a lot of companies, you know, given work from home, that's not all going to go away this year, as we know. So, a little more negative there. You know, if you look at the equal weight REIT or ZRE versus the market cap index, it's nice to see that we've got a little bit of an underweight two office REITs there. So not, not quite as much. And that, and I, that's helped the relative performance of uh, Zettery versus the market cap. So I think Zettery is a bit more of a longer term value play. I think investors are going to want to see, you know, stores reopen. Um, they're going to want to see a couple quarterly, um, quarterly, you know, results of, you know, some increasing kind of trajectory. So I don't think this is one, whereas, you know, the ZBU is more of an immediate, uh, reversion this year. I think the REIT trade is more of a 12 to 18 month play, but I think it's a solid play and then, and, um, you know, delivers yield for investors. Um, just looking at it now, it's, you know, 4.7% yield. And we know that's really good in the context of the market. So um, constructive on REITs and uh, ZRE is a good way to get exposure. Yes, good morning. Uh, just a question for you today on the growing interest in covered call technology ETFs. Looking here at ZWT, just a few comments, please, on the security selection. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the question. Uh, so, yeah, the security selection is pretty simple. Um, you know, this would be kind of falling into our lineup of sector-based covered calls. Um, you know, essentially, we're looking for the 30 largest uh, technology companies trading in North America. So it could be uh, U.S. or Canadian. We do have Shopify in the portfolio, so getting some good Canadian exposure there. Um, you know, and then once we have those 30 kind of top names, we, we weight them by market cap. Um, so we've got a larger 7.5% cap 
and you know you'll see names like Amazon, um, Google, Microsoft, Facebook, Apple, kind of towards that top end, and then it'll skew down. The you know some of the smaller names will have a weight kind of more around you know one percent at the bottom end. Um, so it's a great representative portfolio uh, when it comes to technology. Um, you look at the underlying names. Um, we carry all those traditional IT names that qualify, that are large enough and qualify. Uh, we also look outside the IT sector to include, you know, so for example, an Amazon is in the consumer discretionary, but we have uh, some sector screens to include Amazon, um, Google, and Facebook are in the communication services sector. So it's a very blue chip tech um, and, and again, skewed back to the market cap. So, you know, as we've seen, you know, the NASDAQ has been, you know, a little more volatile recently. Um, we like the fact that we're invested in, in the biggest companies. Uh, we think the blue chip exposure is going to be, you know, beneficial and give investors, you know, really solid exposure to the theme. And we're going to be able to generate a lot of income um, from these companies too. And that's where the cover call comes in. And we're, you know, targeting somewhere around 5% yield, distribution yield um, for this strategy. And, um, you know, again, then, you know, we've talked about it in the past, but, you know, I know some investors may be concerned about the upside in tech and whether cover call will deliver that. But again, we're always uh, very uh, non-greedy in our approach to generating income and we make sure there's a lot of upside. So, you know, have really good um, anticipations for our upside participation in these strategies uh, like we do in the rest of the cover call space. So, um, yeah, excited for this portfolio and, um, you know, for that investor who wants to be in technology uh, but wants to earn more of an income stream, or perhaps you think technology uh, trades a little more sideways this year and cover call can add value, uh, we think this is going to be a, a good solution. I would like to thank everyone for joining us today. Uh, we appreciate you listening in, and of course, thanks for your time and thanks for those questions. Uh, to Chris and Alfred, we appreciate your insights. Uh, thanks for walking us through some of those questions, positioning some ETFs. Uh, and giving us some great ideas to bring back to our own days and our own conversations. So with that, I'd just like to thank everyone one last time for joining us, and have a great day. Thank you to Chris Heeks, Alfred Lee, and Mark Rays for joining us on the Bebo ETFs podcast. Today, our experts zoned in on the long game with growth potential offered by BMO's MSCI USA ESG Leaders Index ETF, ticker ESGY, as well as the newly launched Autonomous Tech and Industrial Innovation Strategy, ticker ZAUT. To make the best of ongoing interest rate volatility, Alfred recommends the BMO Floating Rate High Yield ETF, ticker ZFH. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.